Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Mark chapter 10, we'll be starting with verse 35, talking about the ambition of James and John. And we'll get right into it, verse 35 here. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us if we ask you. Now Matthew mentions that their mother was with them. And the mom was doing uh, the interacting I think we can agree that it was all of them in consensus. Their mom probably had been talking to them and, and, and making sure that they get their rightful place in the hierarchy of this new kingdom that Jesus was going to be uh, the king over, that they, they don't miss out. And so they, they went to him uh, with their mom with them. And recall also that these two were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. And here we see their brash, bold nature to approach Jesus with some uh, with uh, this request, basically a demand. And what we see in this this prideful request that. For all the time that they had been they had been with Jesus, the two had not learned humility. Even though they got to watch the man who has the, the flawless example of humility, they just missed it. I think we can miss perfect examples in our lives of those around us, perfect examples as portrayed in God's Word, and we can miss it if we're not in the right frame of mind. We can be completely blind to our own shortfalls. Verse 36, What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. And Jesus knew. But he seems to be testing them and, and so doing prepares them and all of us for one of the greatest teachings in all of Scripture. Verse 37, they answered him, Allow us to sit at your right hand and your left in your glory. That word allow. That English translation, I don't feel like it really brings across what, what is portrayed in the Greek. Because that Greek word is emphatic. It's demanding. It's, I want it now. Right now. That is exactly how, how they are portraying themselves before Jesus. They're being demanding of him. So Jesus it, it takes an interesting turn. Uh, you, would, you would assume he would just go right into rebuking them. 
But he doesn't do that. He goes a different angle. And in verse 38, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. We often don't know what we're getting ourselves into, do we? Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Do you want the rewards of heaven? Are you willing to suffer for them? Are you willing to suffer as Jesus suffered? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who ended up giving his life for the cause of Christ in Nazi Germany, said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's the deal. Do you want it or not? That's very different from the health and wealth gospel that we hear. Very different from the anything goes progressive gospel that we hear. But these are Jesus' own words here. Verse uh, 39 they said, we're able. I still don't think they know what they're, they're talking about. We're able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. The cup that he drinks speaks to the future sufferings of all the apostles and we know that as church history portrays, all of them but John were martyred. John was the only one who died of old age. The rest of them ended up suffering uh, horrible martyrdoms. We don't know for sure because Scripture only mentions James. And we know that John would be exiled. But church history, and you can read for yourself the different stories that what they think happened to the different apostles, they, they all face painful deaths. This future sufferings. We're baptized which has this basic meaning of to dip and immerse, was commonly used in a metaphorical sense of being flooded or overwhelmed with calamities. In, in, the, first, in the first question, to drink is active. It, it is something you do yourself. I'm taking it. But the baptism uh, alludes to and points to uh, the, the sufferings that come from without, they're imposed upon the individual. As Christians, we have, we have both. Both types of sufferings. Those that we, we take for Christ. I'm going to do this. It's not fun, but this is the right thing to do. And then sometimes we don't have a choice, right? We're, we, we are forced to, to suffer.
verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those who have been prepared for. Now, Matthew mentions it's for those whom it is prepared for by my Father. Referring to God the Father. Prepared is, is in perfect tense, it's past tense, it's already it, it been prepared, it's already happened. It's already been settled who is going to sit at Christ's left and right. It might be you. This seems to speak of, of God's foreknowledge. God is not surprised by anything. Verse 41, when the other ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. They were mad. How dare these guys? wonder if some of them just are mad that they didn't think of it first. Because it wasn't proper indignation. So what does Jesus do? We see that in, in verse 42. Jesus called them over. So come here, guys. And said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile dominate them, and their men of high positions exercise power over them. You, you know about those people? He gets them face to face. In the military, the term, a come to Jesus moment. When you have a real stern meeting with somebody, with a subordinate, here Jesus has a literal come-to-Jesus moment. He's going to set him straight. Someone once noted that Jesus did not condemn the desire to become great. It's a, it's a laudable ambition. There are great ones among Christians as among pagans, but they don't lord it over one another. They don't play the tyrant. Jesus often said about various things that something wasn't necessarily wrong, but you're just doing it wrong. You're going about the wrong way. You're trying to build wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. You're just doing it wrong. Build wealth in heaven because this is all going to be destroyed. You want to live, you're doing it wrong. Try to st Stop trying to preserve your life and just die to yourself. And then you'll live. Paul said in, in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. If you want to live, you must lose your life. 
In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, we see, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If you want to be strong, do you want to be strong? You must boast about your weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me, for when I am weak, then I am strong. A lot of paradoxes in the Christian faith, isn't there? It doesn't make sense to us, but it's, what, it's the reality. Do you want to be rich? You must become poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. You want to be first, you must be willing to be last. Mark 9.35, And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be the last of all and servants of all. Do you want to be exalted? You must be willing to be brought low. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Do you wish to be great? You must be willing to become a servant. Mark 10, 43, but the, not... But it is not this way among you, but whosoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And you must be willing to humble yourself as a little child if you want to be great. Matthew 18, 4. Whoever then humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to be great, you must be willing to be the least. Luke 9.48, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Do you want to rule? You must be willing to serve. Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life a ransom for many. You want to be fruitful? Then you have to die. John 12, 24. Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Moving on to verse 43, but it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The word servant, it must be your servant. You know what's interesting about that word? It's the same word used to translate minister and deacon. 
in the New Testament. My job is to serve you. To provide for your needs. To pray for you, encourage you, help you, whatever it takes. That is why I'm here. But we all, all of us ought to be servants to one another. Verse 44, whoever wants to be first among you must be a servant or a bond servant or a slave to all. They have a hard time with that word, translating it, because we add so much meaning to the other words. What do you put, how do you translate that in English? The best way is bond servant, but we really don't use the word bond servant. And we don't really talk about indentured servitude. Maybe enlisted man, that's what I think of. I was an indentured servant for the U.S. military. I signed my, I, I voluntarily gave myself to Uncle Sam for a period of so many years. And I had a contract. And if I decided to break, try to break that contract, I would end up in jail. That's the best word. It is voluntary surrender uh, and, and, and voluntary surrender and dedication to service. That's what this is talking about. In fact, throughout the New Testament, the word bondservant, slave or servant, is applied metaphorically to someone absolutely devoted to Jesus. We see Paul do it, and Timothy, and James, and Peter, and Jude all describe themselves as bondservants of Christ. And so we as believers today, we should consider ourselves as bond servants of Christ. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, Don't worry, I'm sorry, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. Christ is our Lord, and our allegiance is due to Him alone. As bondservants, we renounce all other masters. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that applies to other areas too. So many people try to serve both God and some other idol in their life. And you just can't do it. One is always going to win out. 
So we're supposed to give ourselves totally to him. In fact, Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Good thing that being a bondservant to Christ is not a drudgery. Because his burden is light. Matthew 11.30 says, Jesus said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Aren't you glad that's the case? Sin is much more painful. Being a bondservant to sin is so much more painful and egregious, it's not even comparable. But there is a surrender to Christ. And, the, and there's this battle because your flesh wants to go the other way. Also, we have this promise. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become servants to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result of eternal life. That's Romans 6.22. What does it mean to be a servant of Christ? A servant of Christ knows who the king is. A servant of Christ is one who has voluntarily set aside his and her own personal rights in order to love, serve, and obey the will of God in Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ die daily to sin and fleshly desires, allowing Christ's life to flow through them. To be a servant of Christ is to seek His will in all things. Our primary desire every day as servants of Christ is to honor and glorify the one who brought our freedom, who bought our freedom from sin. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. This means we must die to ourselves. As we see in Luke 9.23, And he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And we must renounce our right to direct our own lives. As we see in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord and don't do the things I say? And we're to seek always to bring our master pleasure. As we see in Psalm 37, 23, A person's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way. Or Proverbs eleven twenty. Those with twisted minds are detestable to the Lord, but those with blameless conduct are His delight. Just as a master in ancient times took responsibility of caring for his bondservants, so our Lord says that He will provide all that we need when we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And from Matthew 6.33 but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. 
Or in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now there are some requirements for us as bondservants of Christ. We are first expected to continue in the faith. Luke 22.32, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. We're also expected to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. There is an internal battle that we have to participate in and not be passive about. And not just go with the flow of our emotions, but to consciously think about what's going on and make a, a, an effort, a decided effort to glorify God. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, or at least 4 right now. Uh, Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition, demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments. We're also to take every thought captive to obey Christ. In verse 5, in that same chapter, in every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are to pursue holy living. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We're expected to daily crucify the lusts of the flesh. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Amen. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. Amen. We're also expected to love brothers and sisters in the faith. We're expected to love one another. 1 John 3.14 and 15 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. 
we're expected to store up treasure in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 says, Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. We're expected to eagerly await the master's return. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, There is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. That's what is expected of us. Those of us who have stated, yes, I am a bondservant of Christ, and I want to live as one. Those are some of the expectations that God has for us. Maybe you're asking, why should we want to serve Christ? Why should we want to be a bondservant? Well, the Bible offers several motivations for our service. For one thing, we, we... We want to serve God because we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. This is going to be destroyed. Kingdoms come, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. But God's kingdom will never end. In Hebrews 12, 28, we read, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful by it. We may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. We want to serve Christ because our service supplies the needs of the Lord's people. We read in 2 Corinthians 9.12, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. We want to serve Christ because our service provides our, proves our faith and causes others to praise God. 2 Corinthians 9.13, because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone. And we want to serve Christ because God sees and rewards our labor of love. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing by continuing to serve them. We see, I, maybe uh, most importantly, why would we want to? Because Jesus came to serve. As he said in verse 45, our final verse as we wrap up today, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus took our place. He took our place. We, we, um, he committed no crime. Jesus was executed as a criminal. God, the Father, treated Jesus as a criminal. And, and, and he, Jesus had no personal sin to pay for. And so his death pays for ours. That old gospel song says, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. 
Are you willing? James, uh, James and John wanted to be great in Christ's kingdom. And he told them, you're doing it wrong. And he explained what it took. I hope you want to be great in Christ's kingdom. And if you do, are you willing to humble yourself and put Christ in charge of your life? That's what it's going to take. And I thought it's an opportune time to talk about the 90-day obedience challenge. Daryl Stetler put these together. Little booklets. Each there's a day. There's a day and a QRL code for a little video every day for the next 90 days. Focusing on obedience to Christ. If you're interested, I got a few books here. I'll get more if we run out. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, send me an email at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com and we'll send you out a book. But I challenge you. If, if, if you've struggled with maintaining a clear heart before God and, and you were listening today and thought, I want to do well, I want to be a good servant, I want to have a servant's heart. Struggling with that, maybe this obedient challenge might be something that would help you with that. Let us stand. Well, that's all for today. I hope it was a blessing to you. I do have one more thing to add. Uh, I have recently published a book entitled Stop Poisoning Yourself. Finding Joy in All Circumstances. Few of us realize the impact our, our thoughts have on our daily lives. How it impacts our emotions, our relationships, including our relationship with God. Uh, in this book, I, I go through this very short, easy to read book. I go through what the Bible says about it how and what we can do uh, to eliminate poisonous thoughts in our lives. So to, if you're interested, go check it out on Ken, uh, Amazon Kindle's website. You'll find it there. Just search for Stop Poisoning Yourself by Daryl Underwood. Enjoy your week. Have a wonderful day.